How you guys doing today? Nice. Good job. That was awesome. Well, hey, um, who here likes an underdog story? Raise your hand. Yeah, everyone. Almost everyone. Any uh, Notre Dame fans here? Yeah? Rudy? You like Rudy? No? No one likes Rudy. Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I never liked the story either. When I was uh, in high school, I remember one time my coach, this is when I was younger, and he said, yeah, you can, because I was like, I want to go to Notre Dame and play. And he said, yeah, you can be like Rudy. And like, Rudy got in for two plays, <laughs> right? That's a great story. But I, I was an insult to me. That's the way I felt it. But the reason that Rudy's got a story, the reason that we love underdogs is because there's something about the idea of someone overcoming despite their limitations, right? Despite what's stacked against them, whether that's circumstantial, life, or whether that's their own stuff. We like that. That's why we like, um, for instance, me, when you've got a short, somewhat chubby quarterback in the college football, right? It happens every now and then. I get excited for obvious reasons, right? I live vicariously through him. He is not limited by his height. He is able to overcome those um, flaws. We like athletes that don't fit the mold. You know, you hear ESPN 30 by 30, or you hear these stories about the short guy, or he was too slow, right, or he was too this, or he was too that. Tom Brady, right? Everyone talks about Tom Brady. If you've ever watched his combine workout and you know sports at all, ugh, right? And now we're talking about the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. I don't like to say that. He has to be. Why? He overcame his limitations. We like rags to riches stories. I was thinking of the pursuit of happiness. Have you seen that with Will Smith? This guy who's got everything stacked against him, and he just doesn't stop, right? And that's somehow more impressive than if he had been handed everything. We don't have movies about rich guys who just stay rich. That's a boring movie, right? That is a boring movie. We like to see when people overcome. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you a secret as to why you like underdogs. You ready? Ready? Tyler, you ready? I get to say his name. I'm just so excited he's here. Yeah, listen, the sad truth is many of you in this room love the underdogs because you feel like you are the worst of the underdogs. That's the truth. Now, you may have that confident look. You may have that, uh, and that's awesome. You've overcome that. But deep down, you got your own insecurities, and so you like to see when someone can overcome despite. You see yourself, you, you see all your flaws and your weaknesses, and you see all the mistakes that you make that... And the hope is, really what most of your day is, if you're really honest, is hoping that other people don't see what you know to be true, right? That I'm just a huge mess. I'm an imperfect person. Have you ever heard of that? You ever talk to someone and they're killing it, right? They're doing life and it's never enough. Why? Because they know their flaws. They know their weaknesses. They know their mistakes, that feeling of I, I tread water to keep my head above the water of life, but I never really go anywhere. I never really do anything because I'm so flawed and broken and I've made so many mistakes that I can't fix. And here's the truth. Sometimes you make mistakes and you can't fix them. You can't. You can't go back in time and make a different choice, even though we wish we could. So we, you, live in a lot of shame and embarrassment because of all those messy things. Because all the messy things that it doesn't matter if everyone else, anyone else sees it. I'm the same way, right? Someone can give me a comp. I love them words, guys, so I like compliments. So if you do, don't stop. But I struggle to take them because I only I tend to filter them through my own lens, right? Through my own uh, earphones, to the things, the voice in my head that sees all the ways that I fall short. That even if I fooled you, I can't fool myself. And I certainly can't fool God. 
So if we know, right, if you know how flawed you are, then certainly God does. See, that's where the thoughts go. Certainly God sees all of your weaknesses, all of your flaws, all the things that we try to hide beneath the mask of hard work and surface relationships. He knows. We feel inadequate. We feel unequipped. You know, I can't tell how many times I've went to someone in this church, particularly in our journey as we've grown, right? Because if you knew where we started from, to be here is crazy. When I've come to them and said, hey, it would be awesome if you served here. They come and talk to me like, Todd, I feel like maybe this would be a place that I could see myself in the church. Or I have this really good idea for the community. And I say, well, why don't, that's so cool. Why don't we do it? And they say, well, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. That's a real thing. I don't think I'm good enough for that. Even though God gave them the idea. We may feel called to do something extraordinary. Some of you in this room have a passion on your heart that is extraordinary. You have an idea that's crazy and wild, and but, and but, and but, you are so ordinary. In fact, you are so less than ordinary that there must be a mistake. And so a lot of you have lived your lives shelving dreams, shelving things that God may have been calling you to do because all you can focus on is how imperfect you are no matter how perfect the plan looks. So we want to serve in our church, in that ministry. We want to go on that mission trip. We want to step into that role that our heart longs to do, that we want to bring glory to God. We want that. But how can we with all these flaws? How can I? Because that's the other thing, right? The more I step into something, the easier it is for people to see them, right? It's easy to be the person that everyone says you'd be great at that, and maybe you've become comfortable with that. I'll be the the guy or the gal that everyone goes, they would be so awesome on this team, but you never really join the team because, well, then they won't want you, right? Because they'll see all those flaws. I want to do this for God, but how can I with all these flaws? Of course he can't and doesn't want to use me. And you'll quote and you'll hear the David and the Goliath stories and all those things, but somehow, some way, he's still different than you. I don't want to make God look bad. I've heard people say that. Maybe that's you. I don't want to make God look bad. And see, some of you in the room, you've gone the other way. You've covered your insecurities with a false bravado. Good word, right? I like to read. False confidence. You're that person that you walk in the room and you're that type A, but the truth is you're not. And people see through it. And you know they see through it. So it just makes you go more and more and harder and harder. But the reality is, at the end of the night when you're laying in bed, because there's going to come a moment when you're alone with just your thoughts and God, you know that you still struggle with the same thing. I'm not enough. I'm worse than not enough. I'm not good enough. I've always felt drawn to the Apostle Paul beyond Jesus. I'm not just saying that. I love Jesus, but under that's Apostle Paul. Because he seemed to struggle with these kinds of thoughts. When you read between the lines, we learn a lot about Paul in his letters. Let me tell you some facts first. He was an enemy of Christ. He, he says it himself. I, he was an enemy of Christ. He sought out, persecuted, killed Christians. Did you know that? Killed them? He made huge mistakes. He, held, he had health issues. Do you know people doubted him even after the miracles? He had to defend himself in every letter. I'm not lying. Go read it. Paul says that in a letter. We gloss over it. How crazy is that? Paul has to tell his readers, I'm not lying. No, really, really, I am this. I'm not lying. 
God did speak to me. God did empower me. I'm not lying. Why? Why would he have to say that? Because people didn't believe it because they saw everything he did. That can't be. That's Saul the Avenger. Who's Paul? He had health issues. One for sure, we know that he most likely had eyesight issues. How do I know that? Because he always says two things. He always had people write for him, right? I'm writing through so-and-so. But he also says when he writes himself, once he goes, you can know it's me, look at my large writing. A lot of scholars say he was writing big because he can't see. <laughs> we know that he talked about a thorn in the flesh. That was probably a physical thing. Could have been his eyesight, could have been something else. I've even pondered if it was something different than that. Maybe it was an internal thing. It also says that Paul, we, we kind of know this, Paul has to defend himself because apparently for all of his boldness, he was not that impressive in person. They said that because when he left, everybody's like, man, that guy talks big in letters, but when he gets here, he's nothing. He wasn't a great public speaker. He was flawed, and people seemed to want to remind him of how flawed he was. Sounds like a lot of us, doesn't it? Yet, but he did absolutely, absolutely amazing things. Paul did amazing things. For one, he wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? That's incredible. God used him to take the gospel to the world were it not for Paul. From our hindsight, you and I wouldn't know Jesus. We are the Gentiles. Unless somebody's a Jew in here, born a Jew I didn't know about, right? You were born a Gentile. You can thank Paul for taking the gospel to our ancestors. How did Paul do these amazing things despite his flaws and despite his past mistakes? Guys, you have got to understand these were real people. Many in this room, many, let me tell you something. If Paul walked into many churches today, he'd be kicked out. That's reality. Can you imagine someone convicted of a big crime being a pastor even? It's a murderer. No. Pastors get kicked out for drinking a beer at their house on a barbecue, right? That happens. Simply put, how did he do it? Simply put, Paul let his flaws, this is going to seem crazy, give God glory. How is that possible? Do you hear? I'm going to say it again because some of you in the back didn't hear it. God, right? Paul let God get glory from his flaws. He used his flaws to give God glory. He flipped the script. Seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? Yet, I'm going to tell you something incredible. We see in Paul a man who let his imperfections magnify, not just give him glory, magnify God's glory. That means make bigger. The Bible's filled with these stories. If you've been at the remnant, you know that. I, I highlight it because it's important for you to understand. If you view these, these saints as different than you, who, by the way, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a saint. I say this all the time because you need to understand who you are. It says Moses and the prophets would have longed to have what you have. Whew. Man. The prophets of old, they wanted what you have, access to the Spirit all the time. With God, the most flawed people have done the most amazing things. Let me ask you a question. What if your mistakes and flaws and weaknesses didn't make you a messy disaster, but instead made you a glorious imperfection? Huh. Because it does, and it can. If you have your Bibles, 
Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 9 and 10. But before that, I need to give you some context. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it's important for you to know. Paul dealt with a lot of issues with the church that he started in Corinth. And the problem is Corinth is a big bustling city, a lot of trade, a lot of things happening. It's a sort of a metropolis type feel. I mean, it's a big, big place in the Roman Empire, and there was temples all around, and so what would happen, he went and started the church, he'd go back, and guess what? They're sleeping with prostitutes at the pagan temples. How do I know that? Because he talks about it in 1 Corinthians, right? Crazy things. So Paul goes back. He goes back and forth several times. He writes letters. He sends people to see how they're doing. They're struggling. Then they start to question him. They start to go, who do you think you are? Who are you? You, you talk tough in letters, but you're not. What do, how do we even know this person is, a, is a, an apostle? And then the interesting thing, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Paul starts saying, I could boast right now. I could tell you all the ways and prove to you all the things I've done to prove I'm an apostle. All you got to do is read Acts, by the way, and you'll see some crazy stuff. But he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let my accomplishments speak for themselves. He says that. I'm going to let them speak for me. And then he says, and you're right, we don't know what it's talking about, but apparently they knew this thorn. They had to have known it because he brought it up. He says, I have a thorn in the flesh. I have this weakness that you see that I know, and I have asked God over and over to take it away. He, capital H means, who is it? Yeah, it's God, right? He, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Ooh, this is about to get goosebumps. You ready? I'm not done. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. I like the version to say, for my power is perfected in your weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and impressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <laughs> Mufasa. You ever seen that? Yeah. So, see, they were using everything that happened to him. If God's for you, Paul, why is all this happening to you? If God is really with you, why does your life look like this? Why are you sick? Why do you have a thorn? Why doesn't your God heal you? On and on and on. And instead of arguing, he said, absolutely it is. And look what I've still done. <laughs> because my power, right? His power is perfected in my weakness. If I'm that bad and I've done what I've done, how big must my God be? Oh, man. That doesn't get you going, right? I don't remember what my nerdy friend, if he's watching, if he's a pastor's son, he might be watching. He used to always say this phrase in these moments. He goes, if that doesn't get your wood on fire, it's wet or something. Do you remember this? It was Chris. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it was that nerdy, but that's essentially it. If that didn't get you going, I don't know what will. See, Chris, that makes way more sense. <clears throat> Listen, Paul was doubted. He was questioned. People were saying, if you're so good, how many times have you heard that? Do you know there are people in this room who were told that they got sick because of their sins? That their children got sick because of their sins? Yeah. People, people did it back then. They do it now. Oh, your life's not going good? Oh, man, you must not have enough faith. There's something wrong with you. I love when people say that because I'm like, I know, and here I am. 
He was doubted. He was questioned. He was tempted to prove himself. How many times have you felt that way? When the world starts reminding you of the flaws you already know, isn't it interesting that most of the time we end up defending ourselves, don't we? i got to prove I'm not. You know why we fight so hard? Because we're fighting against ourselves. We're not fighting against them. They're just giving voice to what we think inside. That's why it makes us so mad. You can't punch yourself, right? But you, you want to punch someone else. He was tempted to prove himself, to defend his weaknesses, to make excuses for them. The problem with excuses, see guys, when we deny our flaws that everyone sees, when we deny our weaknesses, we just make ourselves a liar <laughs> because people see them. Don't deny that. Give God glory despite that. Instead of doing that, instead of making excuses, he admitted more flaws. He gave them more ammo. That's the thing. Apparently, they're like, hey, look at all this stuff that's happening to you. And he goes, yeah, I got a horrible thorn. Look at this. I've... And then he admits it. it's even worse. Ready? He's like, you're right. I asked God to take it away three times, and God said no. Imagine that, because he's kind of giving, stay with me, I know it's kind of deep, this is kind of deep, but he's giving them ammo, but he takes that and he flips it, because he knew the truth. You see, he used that weakness, the flaw, the sickness, the circumstances, the hatred, all the things to further give God glory. Yes, I am flawed. Yes, I have this huge thorn. You probably do too, but God still used me, because my God isn't hampered by my weaknesses. You with me? My God isn't hampered by your weaknesses. You can't stop him. Ooh, that's so good, isn't it? You can't stop him. Your imperfections, it's not that they don't. They can't stop him from doing what he wants to do through you. And it's not because of Paul's worthiness. Stay with me. This is important. And, that, and we see that with Paul. He wasn't saying, God uses me despite me because I'm so special, even though I'm flawed. No, no, no. Not because of my worthiness, but because of his power and his goodness. How good must he be to still love me? How powerful must he be to still use me to further the kingdom? To make impact, to change lives, to preach the gospel, to do all of the things that we are called to do. I bring this story up a lot. This isn't on my notes. Well, let me finish, and then I'll come to that. Listen, our weaknesses, our mistakes, our past can point to God, can sometimes point to him even more. I'm not glorifying sin, but stay with me. Sometimes they can point to God even more than our successes, our giftings. Why? Because when we are that flawed, it has to be him. Because there's no way that this imperfect person could do this. You see what I'm saying? You, we love David, the story of David. There were warriors there. Now, it says none of them stood up. That's probably true. But there were warriors there. God chose a shepherd boy. It wasn't for David's glory. It was for his. I will take. This, he was talking to the Philistines. You understand? I will take a boy and I will beat your best. Because I am God and you are not. And that's what can happen through our flaw. In the midst of those people can go, whoa. Right? You know, a lot of, now I'll come to my story, not on my notes. One of the things, and, and listen, guys, we're drawn to that. Humans are drawn to it. No matter what people tell you, no matter what TV tells you, business culture, no matter, you know, manhood, whatever you think, people are not drawn to false bravado. True leaders aren't perfect. 
By the way, no leader's perfect, okay? True leaders don't pretend to be perfect. People don't follow that. They don't. You know, I was told before, I was like, Todd, you only invest in certain types of people. It was Mandy. She said it. Anyway, and the point is, there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. It's not that I don't invest in them. First of all, I'm a human being. I'm allowed to be drawn to certain types of people. But it's not that. But I, I thought about it. I wanted to fight it. But then I, because I, for some reason I equated in like drawn to meaning love, because I love it. I love all you guys, right? But there are people I'm more drawn to. And what I realized, because I took it serious as I thought through, is I am drawn to real. Not because it makes me feel better to be around people worse than me, because I'm usually worse than them, right? I learn from them. I am drawn to people who follow God, even though they admit they're not perfect. Because every change that happens along the way becomes a minor miracle. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to talk to you if all you want to tell me is all the ways you're killing it, because I can, I mean, I want to hear it. Please tell me you're killing it, right? But if you only tell me you're killing it and never tell me you fail, I don't trust you. People don't follow that. People aren't drawn to that. People aren't inspired by that. Remember, we don't watch the movies about the rich guy becoming richer. We watch the movies about the guy with the deck stacked against him. That doesn't mean, listen, some of you, don't be afraid of your glory either. That's a different message I've given. I'm not taught, you know, you don't need to revel in sin. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the people who've come from a worse life are better than the people that have solid. No, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying money's bad. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is, whatever your perceived flaw, mistakes of yourself that's hindering you? What if you flipped it? Because the incredible things you accomplish, everybody sees it, becomes even more incredible when we see how flawed you are. So how did Paul, well, let me, let me go on. It says our weaknesses, our mistakes. And then Paul back in chapter four talks about something that implies this. So if you have your Bibles in 2 Corinthians, go to chapter four. Verses 7 through 9. So Paul, again, the whole book is him kind of arguing, and t- not really arguing, but telling them and debating with them. And he's talking about Christ, and he's talking about, again, you know, I've gone through a lot. And yes, I'm flawed, and I'm dying, and things are happening. And then he says this. He says, but I have Christ. And in, in the midst of all of this, in our humanness, we have Christ. We have light in the darkness of ourselves in this world. And then he says this. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. The treasure is the gospel, the Holy Spirit, all of it that comes with it. We have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power, well, that's good. I didn't even plan this. Extraordinary. Even if you're below ordinary, you got something extraordinary in you. This extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. That's the point, what I just told you. We are, per- we are pressured in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed paraphrase here we are in clay jars clay jars are what clay jars are fragile they're not real pretty especially back then right you've seen them they're fragile a lot of times they they get cracks easy they uh, can be broken easily right they can be um, they're not the things you put on the dinner table you put your fine china right you don't put your clay jar usually especially back then I'm not going to go make something out of play-doh and put it on the the nice table where you invite all your your friends from business. I don't know why I created this elaborate story. The point is, they're clay jars, okay? We are in these clay jars. You are a clay jar. In and of ourselves, the best person in this world is just a clay jar. We may paint it. We may cover the, the cracks. We may paint it a different color. We may put a little gloss on it, but it's still, if I hit it with a hammer, it's gonna crack. We are just clay jars. 
and these fragile, easily cracked human bodies with all of the imperfections of our flawed humanity. But inside, God has given us the treasure of his Holy Spirit. We may just be cracked pots, but we hold the most incredible treasure imaginable. Do you believe that? That's not pastor talk. I'm not good at that. I'm asking you, do you believe that? And if that internal answer is no, then you need to listen. He's not a liar. He's not a liar. God is not a liar. So when the world comes at us with all its pressure, with all its hurt, with all its sadness, with all its fear, when it tries to make us focus on the clay, God, I, I suck. <laughs> when it tries to get us to focus on the clay, we are not defeated. We are not crushed. We are not hopeless. We are never destroyed. Why? Because what's inside of me? You can crack the outside, but you will never take away what's inside. It's invaluable, not because of the worth doesn't come from the outside. It comes from what's within. What the, by the way, what's the outside? That's all your flaws. That's your imperfections. That's your sins. Those are the things that haven't caught up yet to the spirit, right? You know, when Jesus changes us, he changes from the inside out. You heard that song? It's true. He cures you, but you still got some symptoms, right? We're becoming more holy. That's a process. So on the outside, you got a little dirt, right? Todd's got a few cracks on him, okay? Big ones. He's got dirt, and it's not great, but I'm telling you this right now. I know what's inside of me, and it's incredible. See, the problem is when we let people define us by what's on the outside and not what's on the inside. You ready? But then we start to define ourselves by what's on the outside and not what's on the inside. And that's even more dangerous because you can't control what they say, but you can't control what you believe. Well, Todd, no, I don't feel that way. Your feelings are irrelevant. Okay, whoever told you your feelings matter lied to you. Okay, they matter to me. I love you. But in the big scheme of things, the world doesn't care. You got to have something to hold on to. So I can tell you all of that, right? And it sounds good, hopefully. But what do we do when we're hit on every side? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's disease. I know people literally struggling with things that are going to kill them. That's, that is, I was talking with some friends last night about the idea of that. You know, we, we complain about things all the time. And there are people literally dying. Imagine waking up knowing you're going to, now we are going to die. That's what we should live in our body. But knowing that it could happen tomorrow. How do you wake up and give glory to God in those moments? Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's disease. Maybe it's depression. Guys, depression is debilitating. It's real. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's relationship problems. Maybe it's a marriage uh, that's falling apart. Maybe it's hate. Maybe it's attacks. Maybe it's the weights of our own mistakes and sin. Some of you are bogged down not by what others say, but by what you hold on to because you cannot forgive yourself. How do we see the glory of our imperfections? when they threaten to drag us beneath the waves. How do we do that? Same chapter, Paul gives us a little clue. And before we read it, I'm going to use something I haven't used in a while. Take your Christian earmuffs off. Todd, define that for me. That is the thing that you think you've heard something 17 times, right? I knew this when I was in five years old in Sunday school, so you stop listening. You can know but forget. So take those off and listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul, the same Paul says this. Therefore, 
we do not give up. Even though the outward, our outward person, the clay, is being destroyed, our inward person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary, I like that, temporary. That's what momentary is. In the scheme of eternity, this is momentary. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Oof, I like words. So we do not focus on what's seen, but what on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. <laughs> what is Paul saying here? If you connect it to what I said, yeah, I'm falling apart. <laughs> right? People are hating me. I'm failing sometimes. I'm doing this. Life doesn't look great. I don't know what's going to happen. I could die tomorrow. I don't know. But guess what? That's still momentary. If Paul were to focus just on his circumstances, he would have quit. I promise you. Go read Acts. You'll find out. Shipwrecked. Bitten by snakes. Scorpions. People hating him. Trying to kill him. Calling him a liar. On and on and on. If he looked at the circumstances, how many times have you looked around in the circumstances of your life and said, where's God? I have. But Paul was focused on something else. Paul was focused on what? He says, I'm not giving up. Because even if you kill this, the glory that's coming, oh man, is incredible. We're very McDonald's culture. We want it quick, we want it fast, we want it our way, right? But you want to know a deep truth? Why do we wrap Christmas presents? Why do we wrap them? There's something about that buildup in there, right? I see it. I see it. I don't really see what's in it, but I know it's good, so we shake it. You know who you are. You still do it. It don't matter if you're 50. You're down there shaking them, right? 60, 70. I see every wife's going, "Mm mm-hmm, you do shake it. Yeah, you're shaking it. You're looking at it. You're trying to figure out what it is, right? Something about the buildup. You know something good's coming. You can't wait till you open it. Paul was focused on what was coming. Guys, these are the moments. We have got to grasp this before the trials come. Because when the trials come, sometimes it's hard to remember. You've got to train yourself now to focus on the unseen. What's coming? And before you say, Todd, I don't, I just, that's just impossible. No, it isn't. You work 40 hours a week every week for a boss who tells you he's going to pay you. You're working for the unseen. Well, Todd, he paid me last week. Don't mean he's going to pay you this week. You believe in the unseen. You haven't seen the money to come. You believe it. Why? That's just money. That's just Bob, right? I don't trust Bob. God of the universe who you've already put your faith in has told you what's going to happen. How do we do it? We do not give up. Why? Because we know the truth. And even if the truth seems unseen right now, we know the truth. Yeah, we might be flawed. Yes, life might be swinging and hitting us. Yes, we, make, we may end up making huge, colossal mistakes that have real-life consequences. That's the truth. God tells you that too, you know what? Sometimes we think, well, God doesn't love me because when I put my hand on that hot plate, it burned me when he said, don't touch it. He still loves you. You just didn't listen. We might have huge colossal mistakes that have real consequences, but that is not the end of the story because the glory is coming. Let that sit on you for a second. Your glory is coming. In fact, Paul says something pretty crazy. He said it's producing, producing, hmm, building up, right? 
more and more. When the cracks show, sometimes the light, right, seems more bright. Does that make sense? I'm not justifying and I'm not magnifying sin. Ideally, we, we, we minimize the amount of cracks that come from sinful mistakes, right? Because it hurts us. But it doesn't change what's in the pot. It doesn't change it. I've said this before. If I take, right, I take a, let's say I take uh, $10,000 right now. And I spit, on the, I spit on it. And I stomp on it. Who's going to take it from me? Raise your hand. The rest of you are fibbing. Yeah, you might not, but if I walk out of the room and like, if somebody can have it, you're going to take it, right? How far will that go? I'm going to be honest with you. If I know it's real, you might pee on it, and I still take it. That still doesn't change the value. I'm serious. I don't mean to be vulgar, but I'm being serious. It doesn't change the value. Your value doesn't change because of the things that happen. The more dark things seem, the more bright the light is. You have to quit focusing on the things you can see, guys. The temporary, the situations, the flaws, the weaknesses, the mistakes, and focus on what? The unseen. What is the unseen? God, his power, our power through him, and the incredible story that he is weaving that we are a part of. We remember the promises we can't see but believe. We remember the promises that can't be seen but can be believed. Do you hear me? That's faith. Faith isn't a feeling. We remember the end of the story that we may not see yet, but we know is coming. It's coming. And in that, in that ending of the story, whether it's tomorrow for some people that are sick, or whether it's 100 years from now, or whether it's Jesus comes tomorrow, whatever it is, in the end, in Christ, we and you win. And then it gets to be told you so, right? I told you he was coming. I told you he liked me, right? I can't wait for that. There's some people I'm going to be like, I told you. I'm going to be backing up into heaven, right? So I'm going to tell you something. You know, I know a lot of you like lists. You like your lists. I'm going to give you some lists. What is, I've told you a lot of information, but what is glorious imperfection? What is it? What does it mean for you to be that, to live that? First, I want to say before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you what it's not. I'm not glorifying sin. Sin is death. But I'm also not going to condemn you for the things that have already happened. It's over. And when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it is finished. And it tells me there's no shame and condemnation in Christ. So who am I to ever add that to you? Who is anyone to? So for those people that would would take this to mean that, that's certainly not what I mean. You need to go listen to more than one message. Number one, what is glorious imperfections? It's when we walk despite our mistakes, it points to him. So I just told you, guys, you're going, I hope you don't, but the odds are you're going to sin, even from this point on. And some of you in your past, before you knew Christ, and maybe when you knew him, you made a big mistake that haunts you every day. I know it. I know it because I talked to a lot of you. A lot of you are haunted by the past. I get it. I'm a person haunted by the past. I have more of a tendency. I don't really worry about the future, but I lament the past. I'm always like, gosh darn it, why did I do that? Right? But when we walk out God's plans and we walk out what he tells us to do and we follow Jesus, even when the world says you aren't his anymore, it points to him. Do you understand? When someone overcomes, when someone says uh, you're too far gone, when you've made a mistake, when you've messed up to the point and you what? 
when you keep walking, you keep following, it points to him. You know, there are people that, um, one of the things I tell young couples here all the time is, and I've noticed it, they get married here. We, get, we have a lot of them now. We just, it just happens a lot, and it's awesome, is they're afraid to admit that they have problems. Like, they don't even want to come in and work on their marriage because they think that's a failure. You know what? The fact you walk into an office to work on a marriage when you don't like each other tells me who you're following. That gives him glory. I'm not kidding you because to me I go, you must really love him. Who are you following? Because a lot of people walk the other way. They walk out the door. When we do what God tells us to do, despite our flaws, despite our circumstances, despite our sin, it points people to him. It gives him glory because they're going to go, how? Why? Why don't you just die? Why don't you just give up? Everybody says you're not you're a liar, you're this, you're whatever it is, and you keep walking because why do you do it? Because I believe what he told me I am. Number two, when we serve and accomplish whatever that is, when we serve and accomplish despite our weaknesses, it points to him. When I see someone get up and preach the gospel when I know they hate talking in front of crowds, that points me to Jesus. When I see someone cleaning toilets when they certainly don't want to clean toilets, right? That points me to Jesus. When I see somebody stepping into roles in this church, which I've seen a hundred times, of leadership, when they are not called to lead, they don't feel it, they're not gifted with it, I should say. They're not gifted with it, but they step in because they want to serve him. That points people to him. When we accomplish, that goes back to the underdog story. How did you do it? Instead of it just being grit and determination, right, Rudy? It was what? God. How do you do this? How does a shepherd boy stand in front of a giant? You know how ridiculous that sounds? How does a fisherman stand up to the high priest and say, no, Christ is the Messiah, right? Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. How did the apostles, these uneducated people, most of them, stand before kings and look them in the face and tell them they're wrong. It wasn't them. It was the, the one working through them. Number three, the journey points people to him. Guys, listen. When, when people see you in your flaws, so now we're putting it all together, your flaws, whatever they are, your weaknesses, your sins, your mistakes, and they see you continue to follow God, they're going to want to know where you're going. What does that mean? If I see, well, I don't want to pick a person's name, right? If I see Tim, he won't get too mad if I say his name. If I see Tim with his leg shot, his arm in a sling, crawling down the road, and I'm like, hey, man, why don't you stop and come over here and take a break? I'll give you something to make you feel better. And he's like, no. And he keeps crawling. I'm going to look down the road. I'm like, there's got to be something down there. This guy's insane, right? How does he keep doing that? Then he gets hit with a car, and I'm like, oh, I better help him. And he's like, and he crawls down the road again, right? That's him crawling. Randy. Anyway, <laughs> how does he do that? Why is he doing it? I don't even care. I, I would say both. How is he doing it and why? Who is he following? They will ask. They will. And it points to him. And that's a glorious imperfection. And finally, I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. We celebrate the God who redeems. What do I mean by that? Remember I told you we don't glorify sin? We don't. But I glorify the God who redeems sinners. 
I glorify that God. You know, when people tell me, I use me personally, you guys are going to be shocked. Not everybody likes me. Isn't that weird? Uh, I think I'm real likable. Not everybody likes me. And the people that don't, sometimes, if I let that define me, right? If they tell me, you've done this, this, and this, sometimes the most powerful thing I can say to someone is absolutely. I had a guy attack me a few months ago. This is a family member. And he said to me, he said, "Um, you're pitiful. You should be ashamed of yourself. And I said, I am really pitiful. I hope to be less pitiful tomorrow than I am today. He blocked me and didn't talk to me again. But I made my point, right? And I wasn't doing that arrogantly. I wanted to know, I know I am. (laughs) I know I am. But my God isn't. Where are you today? She's going to come play some music. Where are you today? I'm going to let that sit. Stay with me. I know we're almost done. You can go home and watch football. Where are you today? Mistakes. Maybe even your present mistakes. See, some of you, some of you are so afraid of what would happen if what you're into comes out that you're slowly dying instead of recognizing that the very fact you would confess and share or move forward or whatever else it is gives glory to your God because why would you do it? Isn't that funny we do that in church? We tell, hey, confess your sins and then there's some sins when they confess and we kick them out. Why would you ever do it? It's not the way of God. Why, why is everyone fake in church? I don't know, because you've scared them to death. We got to do an uprising. We got to start sharing our glorious imperfections, not for to justify sin or mistakes, but to give glory to God. Are you weighed down by past mistakes or maybe even the present? Are people in the crowd trying to condemn you, tell you that, aren't you Saul the Avenger? Aren't you the murderer, the thief, the liar, the cheat? Right? Aren't you the angry guy? Aren't you the bitter girl? Aren't you? Aren't you? They point out your past and your sins and they say things like, and I've heard it, God can't use you anymore. You're disqualified. (laughs) Funny, isn't it? You're disqualified. God won't use you anymore. Or does your weight come from your flaws? You're not smart enough, not good looking enough, you're not skillful, you're not skilled enough, you're not gifted enough, you're not good enough to even have worth, let alone serve God, let alone pursue the passion he's calling you into. Or maybe you're crushed beneath the circumstances of your life. Right now your finances are destroyed. It's a tough time. Maybe your marriage is crumbling, but nobody can know, can they? Maybe your health's deteriorating. Maybe you're feeling overwhelmed, confused. Guess what? doesn't matter. Whether it's your sin, whether it's your flaws, whether it's your past or whether it's your present, whether it's that goofy way you talk or the funny way you laugh or whatever else it is you think stopping you, it doesn't matter because all it means is the more imperfections is the more possible glory. All it means is you have an incredible opportunity to be a glorious imperfection, to let your cracks and your flaws and you're not good enoughs point to the God who redeems. Because he does. It's incredible to watch the journey, man. It points people, right? The change. There are people in this room today, guys that I travel with, and I'm telling you right now, if I just told you their life and said nothing more, I think some of you would put your faith in Jesus. 
Because I've seen the change and there's no, there's no proof. There's nothing. There's no reason for them to change beyond the spirit that's in them, beyond the treasure inside. Let today be the day you stop letting the world use your flaws to destroy you. Instead, flip the script and glorify God. In the moments when there is no other way, in those moments, God does incredible things. He takes shepherds and he kills giants. He takes a stutterer and he parts seas. He uses fishermen to start a church and he takes death on a cross and he makes life. You are imperfect. <laughs> you are. Love you, but you are. Somebody got to tell you. Some of you need to hear it. You are imperfect. There is no doubt of that. But it's a beautiful and glorious imperfection because of he who is within you. And if there's some of you in this room today that don't know Jesus, I know that feels like a weird phrase, right? What do you mean I don't know Jesus? I know the name Jesus. That doesn't mean you know him. You know of him. I'm going to tell you the gospel. Here's the good news. But i got to start with bad news. The bad news is the world's a mess and so are you. God created everything and he said we could have it and rule in his name. But he said, listen, I'm God and you're not. That's the only rule. We rejected that. That's what happened in the garden. And that's what happens every day that you choose to rebel. You choose your way. You see, some of you say, no, 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 I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. No, you don't. Because if it's not the Jesus of the Bible, it's not Jesus. It's just a twisted little puppet that you've made that makes you feel good about the decisions you make. So what has happened through the thousands of years of human existence is we see what happens when we walk away from God. We get what? Sin, mistakes, death, disease, all those things. Sin entered the world because of our disobedience and your disobedience. Sin is both a nature. It means you're born with it. you got a disease. No, I don't. Todd, I'm healthy. Yes, you do. And it's terminal. Sin is also all the symptoms that come out of that. What is that? Hate and jealousy, and lust, and pride, and envy, and all those things. We are eternally separated from God because a holy God cannot be in relationship with something that's unholy. He can't do it. We are guilty. Because of our sin, we are guilty before a holy God. And God has said what the judgment is for disobedience, for rejection of him, for all the evil we do. It's death. We're in trouble. And no matter, no amount of good works ever measures up to a perfect God. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. But I have the good news now, is that God had a plan. God came down, sent his son Jesus. God made flesh. God himself came down, showed us the way to live, showed us what it was like in the kingdom before we ruined it. And then he did something incredible. He told us how to live. He did two amazing things. The first is, he paid our price. He ransomed us. He paid our ransom. On the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, he existed, by the way, it's silly to say he didn't. He was killed a terrible, physical, painful death. And on that, he took the weight of our sins and mistakes. It says, God, the Father, turned his back on him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is what he said on the cross. You see, Jesus was forsaken so that you never have to be. He did that, and then he rose from the dead on the third day. That's a fact. And the Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. So he saves you, but then you know what he does? He promises us a counselor. He promises us the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to then change and live and be the way we were supposed to be. 
So if you're in this room today, listen, I know it's a long day. This is very important. You will die. That's reality. I don't mean to be vulgar or sad or any of those things, but that's the reality. What happens after that is up to you. You can live forever in eternity. That's what he's promised us. Those that have put their faith in him, we will live forever. He'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more sadness or crying anymore. And all you have to do is turn away from your way and go back to God's way. But Todd, I got all these mistakes and these cracks and these flaws. Were you listening? That doesn't matter. That's going to make your story more powerful. Because that's what he does. So wherever you're at today, there's going to be people up here in the darkness. It's not weird. They're here to pray for you. They're going to pray for you in any way you need them to pray for you. Guys, there's power in prayer. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you need prayer about a situation. Or maybe you're in this room and you don't know Jesus. How do I do that? They are here so that you can walk out 100% confident that if, Lord forbid, the world ended today or you died, guess what? You're with him forever. That's it. You don't have to live under the shame and weight of your past anymore. Whatever you do, don't leave here the same way you came in because if you do, you are choosing to.